Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I'm joined by my best man, Nick Dostal. How you doing there, Napoleon Bonaparte? Ooh. Does he, does he have a French accent? No, no. That's one of the things about the movie. Like everyone just talks in their native accents. Like they kind of, which is exactly, uh, you know, I'll get there. But there was, when I saw Napoleon, I was expecting the gladiator. I was expecting gladiator and I got uh, way more Amadeus. And that is kind of, that's a great question to ask because no, he just sounds like Joaquin. Everyone just talks in their normal accents. Why make them all force like these bad French, they're not going to be speaking French, so they're already going to be, it's already going to be inaccurate because they're going to be speaking English, which Napoleon Bonaparte was not speaking English when he was reigning, so just let him talk <laughs> how they talk. Anyway, how's it going? How you feeling? I am excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I did promise at the end of last episode, I promised everyone that this episode, the next time on What Are You Watching, was going to be our deep dive on He Got Game, so I've been waiting 25 years to talk about that movie in full, and we're just going to push it another episode because because we were talking like, all right, what are we doing next? It was going to be He Got Game, but then we had a little gap, and we both realized that at this time last year, we did a thing where I reviewed a lot of movies in one episode, and you interviewed, and you interviewed me doing that, so that's what we're going to do. That's what this is. This is going to be a mixed bag episode. We're going to talk about a lot of a handful of brand new 2023 movies. Some of them are still in the theaters. Some of them are available to stream for a price or for free. And then, yeah, I'm going to talk about some older stuff that I've been watching that we've been watching. Mixed bag episode, really just trying to give people some recommendations, you know, ahead of the holidays, maybe. And this is also not our our final, like, top 10 of the year episode. This is, this is no, no, no. None of the, a lot of the movies I'm going to talk about today are like, Good to kind of throw on or good to, you know, if there's just a few people around, you want to put something on. I've split them into genres. So we have erotic thrillers for you today. Do we ever? Yes, <laughs> we have. We, do. we have, you know, epic action movies like Napoleon. We have some, I don't know, like smaller indie movies that are really good and kind of snuck up on me. We have some Oscar hopefuls. We have an out and out horror film from Eli Roth, just a bunch of random stuff. And then, yeah, that's what's kind of exciting about it. But no, this is not, there might be one or two movies I mentioned today that may end up in my final top 10 of 2023 list. But no, that's not that. We usually do that in like the end of January because you usually have to catch up on some movies. So do I. We, you know, we both have to catch up on like, final stuff so that's when that will come out and stuff usually still like we still have all of december there's going to be some movies yeah. that are still to come that are going to be in the play poor things is not going to be reviewed in this episode uh michael mann's ferrari uh, those are two movies i'm just dying to see yeah eileen i'm really dying to see like there's yeah there are still a few coming out this is like some of these are things I've missed along the way, but most of them are movies that have come out kind of since like September, October, and November. So that's it. I was researching this episode right up until we hit record. I just finished a movie that a few people recommended for us on Twitter, actually. So that was cool. And hopefully there's something for everyone today. I'm very excited. I'm just going to say this before we get into it. Okay. That just based off of the movies that I've seen this year and what are still to come, I'm very excited for the uh, acting categories in the awards season. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting mixed bag, because if I had to say right now and I have no idea what I'm talking about, I really don't. 
the front runners early for actor you have Killian Murphy. He's yeah. an early front runner, but he's yes. going to have competition in Paul Giamatti, and there's going to be something, someone else that maybe I don't even know about that's going to do competition. For actress, we have Lily Gladstone emerging as the front runner for Killers of the Flower Moon, which I saw for a third time, and that she is just, <laughs> she's really quite a miracle in that supporting actor could be, maybe we got Gosling for Barbie, maybe we got <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer. I think Robert Downey Jr. is really going to occupy what the role that Jamie Lee Curtis did last year, like, you know, just kind of, yeah, I want this. Like, sorry, I do. I've been I've been doing this my whole life and I really want this award. Like, shame on me. And then they get the award. <laughs> and then supporting actress is really breaking away. It's kind of splitting up and people are going, oh, where could this go? And Divine Joy Randolph, who is in The Holdovers, Alexander Payne's The Holdovers, which I will be reviewing today. She seems to be kind of pulling away. It's like, hey, pay attention to her. So yeah, I mean, sorry to like hijack that, but yeah, you're right. Like it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Now, will those four win? That kind of sounds like relatively perfect right now. So I doubt it goes that way, but we'll, you know, we'll see. We'll see. It, it it's just already an interesting array of performances. Like it would be so fun if Gosling did get nominated for Barbie. Because oh, I can't he's, remember. He's the front runner to win right now. Not he, he will get nominated. Absolutely. You think Absolutely. so? When's the, I, I, I th that movie's going to do well nomination wise. Win wise, I do not know. But yeah. it's th that's the smash movie of the year. They have to nominate it. Just like they have to. They had to nominate Avatar: The Way of Water for Best Picture last year. It had no chance of winning, but it, it was the smash. Like you have to. <laughs> Babylon should have. God damn it. Babylon no, should have gotten like, that. Let's just. Oh. <laughs> I want to do a Babylon but, oh, commentary. I've been so oh, ready to watch that again. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Dude, go ahead. Um, this is a complete side quest right here, but this is something that I know is going to mean a lot to you. Oh, boy. I recently rewatched Babylon. Mm hmm. <clears throat> it's my favorite movie of last year. Oh, awesome. What, what did it come in as? It when came we in as number our... two, a strong number okay. two. But, um, uh, based off Wait a of minute. my whoa, 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 <laughs> I was waiting whoa. for that one. That was wow, really it was. just hit me. Wait, wait, yep. wait, yep. wait. Yep. yep. I mean, things have changed. Wait, what is the Stop line? Stop the presses. Uh, new shit has come to light. <laughs> new shit has come to light. Okay, so all right, here we go. Podcast derailed. I'm gonna set this up, motherfucker, <laughs> because. Dedicated listeners will know that last year it was just a, an ongoing thing of last year that you saw you saw everything everywhere in the theaters in March, like most of us did, as I did, and that was your favorite movie of the year. You sang its praises multiple times on this podcast. I was always being kind of like quiet about it all year, and then I let it all come out when we did our top ten of 2022 because that movie was not for me at all, and it, you know that's. You really liked it. So still do. I have noticed. Yeah, I but I have noticed a bit of a cool down from within you because I had always urged you. I'm like, go back and see it again and then see it again. Because if you like a movie this much, it should be able to hold up to multiple viewings. And then I never I just let it go because I never understood like the fascination with that. But so I want to know how how did how did that get down a peg? Because I genuinely thought everything everywhere was like one of your favorite movies that you'd ever seen. Let alone I mean, of 2022. 
And I'm not going to deny that it felt like that. It, like I, th- that that first going experience was something that I will never forget. I will always hold that movie very close to my heart because of what I went through during that. Then I saw it a second time and I still liked it. I did. But it was not that experience the first time. And so I had I had a good experience with it, but it wasn't that first one. But I also wondered, well, maybe it's maybe it's impossible. Sometimes you can't get that first experience back, which is always a great question that I love to like to ask that we always talk about, like movies that what do you wish you could like wish you could unsee so you could see it again for that very first time? Yeah, because once you've seen it, you can't you can't ever get that back. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind just as a 10-year-old example is the docking scene from Interstellar. Oh, sitting in the yeah, dome at the Holly, sitting at the dome at Arclight and seeing that and being and I that scene is still extremely effective to me. Extremely effective. But like that, that th- there's no replicating that. Th- there's yep. just not. That's and that movie's being re-released in IMAX theaters right now. And I'm probably gonna go check it out. What? But it won't be that same. Yeah, it won't be yeah. that same boom hit. Yeah, they do this for like one or two nights only now. It it stinks that I wish they'd do like a week or two long runs, but I guess it's expensive. But anyway, okay, so yeah, that's fine. I, I get it. Like that first viewing is really impactful. And the second one, you're like, oh, whatever. Okay, so that's, yep. I mean, I love hearing all this, obviously. But then you rewatch Babylon, which I've been tempted to do like again recently. I was honestly, that might be my after pod movie today. I've been really, really wanting to go back and revisit it because I love elephant shit. So yeah, what happened? So I'm I'm ruining my my end. What are you watching right now? Because we're talking about this now. That's hilarious. Um, so my my end rewatch, my what are you watching recommendation was going to be Babylon. So we'll just get that out of the way. But um, <laughs> so the reason I did it was because I was like, you know, I'm going on like social media and I would always catch these like reels from it, like random, like just scenes from the movie. And I'm like, oh, God, that was so good. That was so good. And I was like, you know what? I think I just need to rewatch it again. And then let's see if it holds up to the way that you and I felt about it in the theater, because you and I had the best experience ever together watching that movie. Oh, so you have not seen it at home yet. That's, no. OK, OK. I did. Yep. I've seen it like two or three times total. OK, OK, cool, cool. And it held up in a way. Oh, yeah. That um, I wasn't expecting in, in a way where it was like solidified. I was like, OK. The first time I loved it, but this time I got to appreciate a little bit more of everything that went into it because you kind of know what happens now. So you can kind of see even more what Chazelle was doing yeah. and how he was going about it. There's not even a question as to like what will continue to hold up for me. Like I think I could rewatch Babylon at different stages and still get everything that that movie was going for and still love it. So that's fucking awesome. It's it's took it's taken over. And you should know. How's uh how's uh Bardo doing on that list? Top 10 of 2022 <laughs> for Nick Dostal. Remember Bardo? I watched that movie 2 weeks ago. That movie fucking rocks, man. I was in tears. I was in fucking tears. No one ever talks about that movie <laughs> no but me. Does. Bardo. It's a movie that exists. It was nominated <laughs> for a single Academy Award for best cinematography. Meaning that every film Alejandro Gonzalez and Yuritu has directed has been nominated for at least one Oscar. I love that movie. No, I really, I've been actually interested in buying the Babylon 4K. I wish oh. Giselle did a commentary for it, but he doesn't. But 
So I don't even know if there's really many features on it, but it would just, that's the best way to see it. Yeah. When it's in, you know, home video is definitely 4K, but that's awesome. I love hearing this. All right. So Babylon takes it. That is very good commentary material too, like for us to do that. We would, that would be so that's something, yeah, that's something to consider because we would just have a blast doing that. That's, you know, I have some commentary ideas coming up. Some of them are for a little more serious movies, but we do like to balance it out with something that's like fun and maybe that would get people to watch it what i was gonna say that could be a like a push to remember this movie that no one saw that everyone got banned but critically by that's actually the best movie of the year uh we get trashed for it too (laughs) oh we would get so trashed for it so trash Uh, people like it people like it um all right so that's cool that's wrapping up 2022 (laughs) yep here we go (laughs) 2023 kind of uh you know, catching people up on some recent stuff, but yeah, not a recap of the entire year, certainly. Now, some, only a few of the movies I'm going to talk about today, including this first one, I actually have already talked about on the podcast, but this first one, I'm so excited that you yes. watch this. It's Fair Play, directed by yeah. Chloe Dumont. I recommended this movie on my Killers of the Flower Moon episode. Because I woke up early. I was in LA to see M83, which we also potted about. And I woke up early that day and I just put this on. I had, I had no idea what it was about, knew absolutely nothing about it. And I'm just sitting there like transfixed. And I remember you came over like about 90 minutes later, like when the movie was done. And I went, dude, if we had time, I would just put this on for us right now, but we don't. But you have to see this movie. So. You have now seen Fair Play, which is available for everyone to watch on Netflix. And just really quick, it's a contemporary erotic thriller of sorts that fuses sorts. the complexities of personal and professional relationships together brilliantly. It's not sex is not the main motivation. It's more of like a relationship thriller with eroticism. But Phoebe Denevor and Eldon Ehrenreich, I thought, were so good together. So oh. tell, tell us what you thought, because I love this movie. You know, it's funny that you had a little trouble kind of kind of um, categorizing the genre of it. Yeah, because it's also political in so many ways. And it lives in that high finance world, too. So it's not you can't really put it in a box the way you you think you may be able to. Yeah, which is a good thing. Good thing. Which is the best thing, because the the way that the movie just continues to reveal itself is to me the highlight of this film. You start to learn things about the characters in ways where they make choices and decisions that are just the stakes are so high mm-hmm. all the time that when someone does something, it's genuinely shocking. Yeah. The the amount of times that I literally stood up from my chair just based off of what someone did or said. Just like, yeah, one-upping each other professionally, personally, shit that yeah. comes out of their mouth. I was like, what the what? fuck? Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it's and it and it's not over the top. It's honest. It's yes, it's, very honest. It's, it's just like raw. It just like cuts. It's like, what's the one thing that has been building up for a for a character that all of a sudden needs to be said? And they say it in a way that's just like, oh fuck. Who the fuck are you? You you're the one catering to an old man every night. Do you think he would ask Paul or Tom to talk until two in the morning? No, he asked you because he knows you can't say no and that makes you weak. Every time you answer this call, you're letting him walk all over you. The only man I let walk all over me is you. 
What the fuck are you talking about? I have been nothing but supportive. I've given you advice. Advice I've... I never fucking asked for. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to act? Okay? I think I'm handling everything pretty I well. think that's just some of the most interesting dialogue you could ever write. Is yeah. just when yeah. that boiling point happens and then someone says what they need to say. But the way that they say it, the, the <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yeah, I mean, and it, it's just a nonstop ride. The pacing never lets yeah. up. It's not a long movie, so it's not a no. tough ask. It's like a hundred minutes, like an old, like a good old like, fashioned, just like hundred minutes, hundred and five minutes, and you're cruising, you're cruising, cruising, cruising. It just reminded me uh, in a time where we don't have movies do this anymore. Like before, we've always talked about this. Like you have these indie movies that come out, focus features. Fox A24 Searchlight. is getting a little too big for yeah. it now. Yeah. yeah. Neon. But yeah, th- the, these were all like the movies you would actually go to the theaters to see that for the most part, probably not many people heard of. And you're like, oh, wow, this is like a really good indie. I feel like we're entering into a, a space now where all of our streaming platforms are just low key, just putting out. Movies that there's no marketing for, there's mm-hmm. no, uh, like, there's... They just dump them. They just dump them. Yeah. And you just have to, you have to basically be you and just see, oh, there's a new movie <laughs> on here. I guess yeah. I'm going to watch it. And then just start to plug it because there's no other way to watch these. Like, there's no, there's no billboards. There's no, there's no websites. There's no anything that's letting you know, hey, here's a really, really good and taut political erotic thriller that... You'll never ever watch unless we say something. Yeah. Uh, yes. Honestly, that you just kind of defined one of the main roles of this podcast because uh, what are you watching? Ain't about making money. That's not what this yeah. is, folks. Like that's why yeah. you don't hear ads. Like that's not. It's just. It's about genuinely encouraging people to watch movies. Yes. That's we just want you to watch movies and good stuff, and we try to gently guide you and nudge you. And you know, we don't talk a- about this a lot on mic, but. Our podcast numbers have been doing increasingly well, and I'm not sure why this is happening, but they are t- they are just doing well with like each passing episode. And <laughs> I know why. It's because we're the best. <laughs> we're the best, right? Damn right. Damn right. No, it's great. It's just we're just. I mean, we do our thing. We plug away at it. But when people do reach out, one of the common things I find is that there's no one out here watching. Uh, there's likely no one out here watching as many movies as I do because this is like. It's one of the main functions of my life, so I'm so obsessed with movies. But a lot of people want to listen just to hear, you know, okay, I'm going to, when I do eventually have two or three free hours down the line, or maybe I'm only going to have 90 free minutes two days in a row. So that's enough for like one movie. What can I put on? What am I going to like? And, you know, I have personal friends who listen who do that. We have a bunch of strangers who listen who do that. So that's, yeah, that's what this is. And you're right. Fair Play was a Sundance movie. It premiered at Sundance in January. And thankfully, Netflix decided to pick it up because it doesn't sound like any of those small, more indie geared studios wanted to. So thankfully, yeah. Netflix does it and puts it out. But no, there's no like, I mean, how many new movies come out on Netflix like every week that either the they produce themselves? It's You can't even keep up. I'm going to talk about another one that just came out yesterday on Netflix. It's a really, really good movie that I think a lot of our listeners would really, really like. But And it's it's by a major director, Todd Haynes. It stars two Oscar winners, Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman. And like people just start talking about this shit. It's crazy. It's Yeah, it's really, really crazy. So 
listen to us. We dig through all the shit. I sift through all the shit for you. And I try to recommend recommend stuff because trust me for the, I don't know, 10 new movies I'm talking about today. Oh, I've seen 30 or 40 that just weren't for me in 2023. And that's why we're not talking about them. Well, (laughs) that being said, let me take over and begin the interview because all the rest of these movies I haven't seen. And we should start with another indie. We should start with a low budget and just uh, knock it out of the way. Let's talk about that little movie, Napoleon. Napoleon, the greatest (laughs) domestic romantic drama of the year. Yeah. Ridley Scott went out of his way, shot it for five million in like 10 days. No. I mean, (laughs) you know, this is a huge movie. This dude's a maniac. He shot this movie in 61 days. And I know you haven't seen it, but if, yeah, if anyone, he said he's shooting gladiator 2 in 51 days none of us have seen gladiator 2 obviously but i'm like how the hell are you doing this i don't it's i mean it's wild and his budgets are nowhere near what marvel budgets are and napoleon has a lot of cgi a lot of computer graphics but it's so much better than the marvel movies it's i'm like i don't know what he does differently and this is not a guy who makes one movie every four or five years he makes i mean he gave us two in 2021 two yeah. good ones i mean the last duel is like a really good very well done drama with a remarkable fight scene at the end of it yeah and then house of gucci is just like pulp trash fun and those came out months apart like it's crazy it's uh so yeah that, that's a bit of napoleon as well i definitely expected gladiator and i and when okay i mean how do you even set this up all right first let's talk about history right because this movie came out and a lot of people are on his ass that it's not historically accurate he a few weeks ago he being ridley scott said you know get a life to the (laughs) critics who said that and i don't know it's a fine line right because like i personally don't go to a movie called napoleon in 2023 for a history lesson. I, I just don't. like. I go to see it because Ridley Scott is directing it, and I know it's going to have some really, really good battle scenes, or it damn well better, and this movie does. So, in this movie also, I should say, nowhere on the poster or nowhere in the movie does it say based on a true story. It, it kind of feels inherent that it doesn't need to say that, but there are a lot of movies that say based on a true story that are just like full of shit, and that stuff didn't happen, and that bothers me, but... I guess I'm saying I don't know enough about Napoleon Bonaparte to be able to pick the movie apart. I just don't. I know that Gladiator is full of historical inaccuracies, too, and I don't remember anyone being like, that's not how Marcus Aurelius died. Like, it's just, I don't know, just go along with the movie. So that's that's my pitch of, like, uh, who cares a little bit? It's a bit of a shrug. Like, Napoleon, the film, is not historically accurate. I guess there are hundreds of documentaries you could probably watch and thousands of books you could read. I just wanted to see a cool movie that's all do you but you know you know what i'm saying like it's just a fine line because i'm not creative license i don't think every single movie is allowed to abuse it like i don't want aliens to come down and start fighting on napoleon's side that's not what you know that's not what we're saying but if that one person maybe didn't make that decision you know it's fine if einstein and oppenheimer didn't actually talk by the lake like it's fine it's fine doesn't matter i guess I genuinely feel that most movies that um, are done on on some type of fictional basis like this, a storytelling situation, it's not a documentary. A documentary, I expect historical accuracy. Mm -hmm. Um, From a movie, I suppose in a situation like this, you know, it, it certainly wouldn't bother me. But I wonder if the workaround for this is if... You didn't call it Napoleon, but you just based everything else that you did 
off of the idea of Napoleon, but made it a fictional thing, then people could kind of be like, this would be a really kind of cool, like off-brand Napoleon story. I don't know, but then does it sell? Like it doesn't. The, it doesn't. That's, that's the part thing. of the selling point. People want to see Joaquin as Napoleon, and yeah, and I, I even think Ridley Scott has tried this. He's tried to do like I, I'm a little baffled that like that's the biggest topic of Napoleon because I do not think the average Joe has a really big grasp on like the French Revolution and is able to call this <laughs> stuff out. I think historians do, but I never watched Napoleon. And I was like, oh, that didn't happen. That's not historically accurate. Where there's another. Oh. <laughs> There's another movie in the theater right now that takes place in the year 2006, and I haven't seen this movie, but there's one scene when (laughs) (laughs) they're all sitting around in some house watching Superbad on DVD, and I know that Superbad did not come out in the theaters until 2007, and therefore came out on DVD in 2008. That bothers me more than historical inaccuracies in Napoleon, because it's just it's a much shorter period of history that has gone by. I I don't know. To each his own, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I mean that's all. Yeah, we 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 talked about that one. That's just I that, that's just a bit of laziness. I think. Yeah, it is a tough question because how much are you going to let something bother you over what you want to see? Yeah. I want to see Napoleon. So, um, well, I, well, I guess this is also a, a different situation too. I hear he's releasing a four-hour director's cut on Apple. This is a main talking point. This is a little concerning because the the movie in the theaters right now is two hours and 37 minutes. And it is, I mean, my God, it opens with a thrilling battle sequence. It has some of the best battle sequences that Ridley Scott has ever put on film. And there's virtually no one who will watch that movie and disagree with me. That's an objective fact. Now, There are other stuff. There's some sexual politics between him and his wife. There is a lot of talking about battle strategy. The movie at two hours and 37 minutes is not constant fighting. But when Ridley Scott hits, when it's gladiator and there's a chariot battle or there's tigers jumping out of the fucking ground, he hits. Like, you you know you're in a Ridley Scott movie and you know this is the only person alive who can do this. There, I really, really want to see Napoleon again just for those battle scenes. But... I am obsessed with movies. I think there are a lot of people who are going, well, if there's a four-hour cut that's going to come out on Apple TV+, Plus, uh, maybe by the end of the year, d- doubtful, but maybe by the end of the year, or maybe by spring 2024, why do I need to fork out dough to go to see this in the theater? And that is true. That's a, that's a thing a lot of people have, like kind of battling around. And I don't know. I, I could see some parts that could be fleshed out a little bit more. And this is the type of movie that honestly could be better at four hours. He could just have more space to include more because Napoleon had, you know, quite a big life and two hours and 37 minutes to tell that life story is not that much time. So we'll see how that does, too. I'll be the first to watch it. Can't wait to watch it. Maybe it'll be a little bit more historically accurate. Accurate, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe because they're not cutting. Yeah, cutting around things. I it, That could be, I you know. So we'll see how all that goes. But if you want to go to the theaters, if you haven't yet, I definitely recommend going to see it. You know what you're getting yourself into. It's Napoleon directed by Ridley Scott. But like I mentioned, I did not expect it to be so horny. It's really horny in a very, very funny way. And uh, like my dad saw it, we were just hysterical on the phone after talking about the movie. I'm like, it's a lot like Amadeus, just how... They portrayed him as so goofy and flighty and horny and just like that's how Joaquin plays Napoleon. And while also being a 
miraculous battle strategist like it just remarkable the first battle that he's involved with in the movie it's so cool because he's visibly scared and he puts himself on the front lines and he's in charge and he's like almost about to hyperventilate he's like scared he's like oh fucking you're just with him (laughs) and he's going up this ladder and you see him like build the courage because even though he's scared he's almost excited like i live for this shit here we go and then we're just with him and it's it's really really thrilling to see that like must I've never been in a battle, but I bet that's real. If like that, th- that genuine fear, you can't stop that fear if it's coming. Like I might die in the next three seconds, but also like I'm fighting for my country. Like let's go. It was it was really cool. <laughs> and then there's a battle. The battle of Austerlitz is. Uh, I mean, it's that is worth the price of admission alone. No wow. bullshit. No bullshit. All right. I told you on the phone, I put up my arms at one point because there wasn't anyone like sitting directly next to me on either side. And I just put my arms up and I'm shaking my head thinking like, how the fuck is he doing this? Like, how do you do this? It's, uh, it's so impressive. Um, but again, not, not an A plus masterpiece. It's not what, if you've heard thing, you know, there's a reason why it's not being hailed as an Oscar front runner. It's not going to be, I don't think so. And you know, and that's, that's okay. That's fine. Well, you sold me. You sold me on the non-Oscar front-running, historically inaccurate <laughs> movie of Napoleon. I know. I, think it I sold like it so well. So <laughs> horny. Don't forget horny. Yeah. <laughs> don't bring your you? kids to this one. <laughs> well, I'm um, moving on. Um, so this is a movie that just dropped yesterday. This has been um, on my radar, so I'm very excited to see this one. And um, now that you have seen it. What is your opinion on Todd Haynes' new movie, May, December? Yeah, great setup. This just came out on Netflix yesterday. As you said, I knew I was going to start my morning with it before work, so I woke up early. Now, I do not know a damn thing about this movie. I saw the poster, which looks like them kind of looking into a mirror. It's like Natalie Portman kind of standing behind Julianne Moore, and they're looking into a mirror, so they're looking at us, and I'm like, okay. And... I thought it was going to be a May-December lesbian drama with them. That's just what I assumed. Because, you know, May-December romance, one's old, one's young. <laughs> so, like, I'm seven to ten minutes in, and, and I'm going, things. this movie's weird. Things are, like, <laughs> weird. I'm not sure what's going on. And I'm, I'm trying to, like, piece things together. I'm like, all right, what's, let me try to keep up with it. And I gather that... Natalie Portman is a famous actress playing a famous actress and she's in Savannah, Georgia to research her role in this role. It turns out she's going to be playing a real person. So she's going to basically spend the week with this real person and her family. And this real person is played by Julianne Moore. And when Moore's character was much younger, she was married to a man with kids doing that whole thing. She began having an affair with a seventh grade boy. Okay. They got caught. She got pregnant. She went to jail. Now it's 20 years, 25 years later. And Julianne Moore and that seventh grader are married. There's a, obviously a huge age Oh, yeah. You're saying difference. too much. It's already, it's already taken. I want to see it. Yeah. This, I'm not saying this is all, this is like literally in the first 10 minutes. And I'm like, so that's, that's what the movie's going to be about. Like they're making a movie about these, this, you know, true story, true story within the movie. Of course, it sounds like Todd Haynes. And the writer based this on some true stories in real life. You know, we hear about this stuff. The teacher who, you know, we we hear about this stuff. Very, very interesting film that went in directions I did not expect in all the best ways. Todd Haynes is 
What an interesting career. Do you remember that his last movie was Dark Waters, which is like an environmental kind of like disaster thriller with Mark Ruffalo? Yeah, Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, nothing like his other work. Like this guy did Far From Heaven with Julianne Moore, Safe with Julianne Moore. Oh, my God. I'm not there. The Bob Dylan biopic Mm -hmm. of sorts. Velvet Goldmine. Yeah, Velvet Goldmine. Mildred Pierce. He did with Kate Winslet. I love Todd Haynes. Carol is a movie that kind of really catapulted him. That that was a movie that just hit every generation. Everyone liked it. They're like, yeah, we got this. We liked it. This is much more of his like Clouds of Sills Maria. There's definitely some persona in here. I'm not saying it's necessarily as good as those movies, but I did not expect this. And this has a candidate of the movies I'm talking about today to be in my top 10 of the year. Probably. It, It definitely could be. Napoleon, maybe. Napoleon would be like a stretch, but... Yeah, May, December, I went, I, I actually really want to watch it again. There, yeah, it just goes directions where I was like, all right, all right. I, I was calling it shots and going, oh, I think it's going to be this and this. And then they were calling me out like 30 minutes yes. later and being like, yeah, I fucking got you. I got, I, I got your number. Julianne Moore has done five movies with Todd Haynes. And this is Safe has always been my favorite collaboration of theirs. This is right out there. She's really good. Natalie Portman is just, you know, it's just great when these these people come back in and they're like, yeah, I won an Oscar for a reason. And I've you've known me for 20 plus years. I've been in movies for 20 plus years for a reason. Like, and not maybe not everything I do is like, you know, the movie, the best movie of all time. But here I am and I, I know what I'm doing. And they're so good. And then this guy, Charles Melton, who I know he plays the, you know, the seventh grader turned into a very young husband. I know him because my wife occasionally watches Riverdale on TV. (laughs) So I recognized his face. I was like, wait, I know that guy. And I looked him up and he's getting a lot of early supporting actor buzz as well. Supporting actor is going to be stacked this year. So that would be Oscar chances for this. I have no idea. I I don't know. It's it's hard to say with the Netflix movies. It's just hard to say. But everyone watch this. It's it's not like overtly sexual there. You know, sexuality is brought up, but it's not. It's a good one to put on. Good weekend movie. It was good. It's very good. Good mystery. This was always going to be one that I was going to see because Natalie, Natalie Portman is my number one. She is my favorite actress. Yeah. I will always see anything she ever does. So when I heard she was working with Todd Haynes, I was like, oh, this is going to be so good. So I'm so glad to hear that uh, it it got you in a good way because that's uh, this is going to probably be my weekend movie. Yeah. Great weekend movie. I just put it on. It was it's a breeze, you know, two hours, just like a traditionally made movie, clearly shot on location in Savannah. I Again, I just want to reiterate, and I'm going to say this a few times this episode. I really, this one, I really did not expect to like, and shame on me. And I really liked it. And I am always going to call myself out in that regard on this podcast. If I'm like, eh, just judging it without knowing a damn thing about it. And then watching it and being like, yeah, you deserve to call yourself out because that was a good movie and it's well made and it's good. <laughs> well, anytime that you can admit that you're wrong is always a win on this podcast. Moving Definitely. on though. <laughs> no, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta go back one, one area. I just want to open this up. Give me like five minutes on, on this. It circles back to Napoleon a little bit. Cause I've just barely touched on it. Oh, okay. I wanted to do Ridley Scott, a service and his uh, arguably, uh, I mean, his most Academy Award successful film of all time, Gladiator, which won Best Picture in 2000. You and I have talked, we don't talk a lot of shit on it, but we we're, we both acknowledge we are a bit cool on it. It doesn't get brought up from us a lot in terms of Ridley Scott's best work. I did that film justice. I put my phone in another room and I put that thing on, never pressed pause and paid attention the day before I saw Napoleon. And that movie's just not for me. It's not. I, I was v- extremely bored. But those battle scenes in Gladiator 
are unassailable. They're so well done. All the fight scenes are so well done. Everything in between, I just wasn't feeling it again. So I, I think it's good to kind of circle back to movies. There's another one I'm going to circle back to toward the end of this episode that I like a lot more now. So yeah, it just wasn't for me. I like Napoleon better than Gladiator in that regard. Like I did. I thought Napoleon was much more, um, had a lot more to say and was a lot more entertaining in its quieter moments. Oh, well. So that's that. I've always found it very interesting that a lot of people who are casual moviegoers, mm-hmm. whenever you ask them like what their favorite movie is, Gladiator always comes up. It's a big one. Yeah. It's a you big had one. 1998, like people that you're defining, they'll be like, same Prevor Ryan, and then Fight Club 99, Gladiator 2000, like all those three, they could be like, yeah, that's the best movie ever made. <laughs> like, yeah, like they say that they're like, obviously, I love Gladiator. I mean, that's yeah. like, I mean, how can you deny it? And I'm always so curious because like, I don't dislike Gladiator at all. I, I, I don't I think Gladiator it's not a dislike. Is, no, it's not a dislike, but it is one of those ones where I was like, there, there, there's some there's some giant like, you know flaws in the movie (laughs) there's there's a lot of talking in rooms and like a lot of you know uh incest adjacent stuff and you know like all that stuff and i'm like all right i get it i like okay okay but there's 20 minutes or so of like great amazing battle scenes but there's still two hours and 10 minutes in the movie that's that's all i'm saying i'll take back the word flaws because i don't think that's the right word i think there's just some there's some um drops I suppose, in the thread of the whole entire story. But that's all to say that I always think it's funny that Gladiator is a movie that people revere in a way of, oh, well, this is obviously one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. And I've just never thought that. I've always liked it for what it was. And it sounds like Napoleon is something kind of similar. Because also Gladiator is incredibly historically inaccurate. That's what I mean. Marcus Aurelius did not die that way. He wasn't like smothered from a hug. That's not how he died. Like, like so, but also like, you know, it, does it matter for that movie? Like, does that matter? I don't think it matters. It's fine. All right. We'll keep on. We'll keep trucking here with the um, erotic package of films here. Fair Play, May, December. And wow, this next one, let me tell you. Oh boy. Yeah, because I don't know anything about this one. Oh, so man. this is oh, this man. is the one where I looked at it and I go, all right, what is Passages? Passages is the new film directed by Iris Sachs. He's done a number of really good indie movies. Here's the selling point for this. This movie was rated NC-17 by the Motion Picture Association, and Sachs rejected it. He thought it was censorship. He thought it was rated NC-17 because there is a gay sex scene, and that was the only reason. So he released it as unrated. And I've heard a lot about this. It was out this summer. And I paid uh, like $5.99 to watch it on Amazon yesterday. It's about a married gay couple, Franz Rogowski. Sorry if I'm not saying that right. He's an actor I've seen in a few different movies. He's really, really good. And Ben Wishaw, who is, you know, Q in the latest James Bond yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. He's very, very He's great good actor. Yeah, they're great. They're married. Franz begins an affair with Adele XR Chopolis from Blue's the Warmest Color. Ah, yeah. And a love triangle of sorts ensues. This is all taking place in Paris. This is a very real, very frank movie. There were two notable sex scenes. There was one between Franz and Adele, and then, and then another between Franz and Ben, which... <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> We've come a long way since, since Brokeback Broke Mountain. Mountain when people <laughs> lost their 
fucking minds over a clothed, you know, what, eight second long sex seat in the dark in a tent. Hey, oh my you can't, God. you can't take back the spit, though. Spit in the hand. So what? Yeah, I know. That lost, was, that's what I mean. Everyone lost was, their minds. <laughs> Jesus. We've, we've come. That was my favorite oh, part. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's great. Oh, Heath. Oh, Heath, we miss you every day. Thank you for your contribution to film. Jesus. In the theater, uh, I go, oh! Yeah. Well, you might have done that with Passages, too. I was like, wow, wow. But, uh, I mean, aside from that, that's not the sole intention of the movie. I've, we've yeah. all seen movies where the sole intention is getting freaky and just showing it just for that. This actually had, you know, a lot of heart to it, and it was very, very real. And Adele, I think, is an amazing actor who does who is not in a lot of American movies, but still does a lot of movies abroad. And, yeah, if you want something a little steamier, this was that. Where passages? Where can uh, is this streaming for anywhere for free or is this a pay for? Yeah, I had to pay five ninety nine on Amazon. I said that like three and a half minutes ago, but that's okay. Well, yeah, but I'm. But this is when you <laughs> no, see I, it. Maybe it's yeah, actually I, no, available. I, <laughs> I will let you know. I, everyone know if you can watch these movies, you know, for free, like Fair Play, Netflix, May December, Netflix. I say for free, but you all know what I mean. Obviously, you have to pay for a Netflix account or you're yeah. stealing your parents' password or something. But yeah, all right. Now, this is one that uh, moving on here that I'm very excited to hear you talk about because I actually put this movie on for Ooh. 10 minutes. Okay. And I had to leave. And it's a terrible. I don't know why I started it when I knew I had to leave because that no, was I a dumb, oh, dumb oh. move. Yeah. If you know you have to leave, I will do the th- a thing sometimes where I know I only have a half hour. And there are movies I start that... I don't like to, but that that I may bail on. I may bail on it for a month because I always have to finish every movie, but I may be like, yeah, that first half hour wasn't for me. This is a great example. I put on this movie and I had a half hour before my gym opened, so I knew I was going to go to the gym and come back and finish it. But if I didn't like the first half hour, I probably wouldn't be reviewing it on this pod. So I probably wouldn't have finished it. I would not have wasted my time with it. I would have switched to something else for this episode. Thankfully, I'm talking about the movie. What movie yes. are we talking about? And we are talking about the movie Sanctuary. Yes. Uh, starring our boy, one of our favorite, what are you watching, um, acting uh, reps, Christopher Abbott oh. and Margaret Qualley. And it's directed by Zachary Wygon. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Who knows? Um, yeah. So <laughs> so in, in 10 minutes into that movie, I got that first turn of, mm-hmm. I don't even want to say what it is, but it 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 something changed. In right. the first 10 minutes, and I go, oh, all right, well, that's that's kind of cool. And then, so I've been waiting to re- get back to this movie. I'm just going to start it again. Yeah. But um, what, 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 what was the experience? I really liked it. I liked the movie. We've been hearing a lot about it. Really? Yeah, we've been hearing a lot about it. I th- Maybe even John Klein mentioned it on Twitter. A few people on Twitter were like, hey, would love to hear your thoughts on this. I did not get to see it in the theater. This is also one where if you go on Wikipedia... You go on IMDb, it'll tell you that the movie came out 2022, but it didn't. Just premiered at some festivals, became available to the public in 2023. It should be a 2023 movie. <sighs> yeah, it's fun. It's what it's, you know, the whole thing. Um, Abbott is the heir to a hotel empire, and Margaret Qualley is a dominatrix hired to keep him in line uh, occasionally. The entire thing is set in one hotel room slash hotel hallway. It definitely unfolds like a play. We've talked about this a lot. That can be a huge challenge for movies because I'm watching it and I go, all right, I get that what you're doing right now is a bit of a, it's a bit of a game. Like, you know, I I get it. It's wordplay. But at some point, something is going to have to turn, as you just said. 
And then can you maintain that for an hour, 45 minutes? And this does, because just when I thought it was going to slow down or get stale, they kicked it into a new gear or the dynamic changed. And it was good. A bit of this is not going to be a selling point for a lot of people. So I say it very cautiously, but a bit of a Malcolm and Marie thing. But these two people are not in a romantic relationship thing, but it's it's a pass off back and forth a baton. But I am. you just I said liked it. There's the magic words. Th- I know that's a selling point for you, which is great, but not for anyone uh, else listening to this. But yeah, definitely thought of that. Definitely. It's but not as the language is not uh, nearly as harsh as it is in Malcolm yeah. Marie. There's way more on the line in that movie. But you know, we Chris Rabbit is definitely one of the best actors of his generation. We like to call that out on this podcast as much he? as we can. And it just you watch it and you're like, yeah, he's great. She's great too. Great chemistry. You know, it's on Hulu right now for free. That's how I watch it today, this morning. So definitely, you know, check that out. Not as, despite the subject material, not nearly as steamy as you may think it's going to be. It's not, that's not really the vibe. Not nearly as steamy as, you know, Passages or Fair Play or even May and December. May, December. But yeah, good, good movies. I'm talking, every movie I'm talking about today, I recommend. But, you know, just know what genre you're stepping into. Sanctuary is not like, they're, they're not like tiny. Well, there is a there's a tie up scene. Um, there's not like whips. There's no, you know, chains. It's not it's not that kind of S&M thing. It's much more verbal than I, I don't care. I even if I, it I'm had talking it, to I the people. It. I'm talking to the people. They want it too. not everyone. Listen, this wants the S&M shit. People strung <laughs> up and like fucking not everyone does. I promise. They don't. You do. Can we talk about how great Malcolm and Marie was? Yeah, that I mean, talking about a movie no one fucking talks about or gave a shit about. Like, it's one of my favorite. Um, it'll always be one of my favorite COVID movies. What I mean, what so I mean good. by COVID movies is when like a director and like five people went to an Airbnb and made a movie, and a few very famous people did that. And that's probably my favorite example of it. I love that movie. I love her. Uh, I love her in uh, anything. It helped me love him. Yes, let's keep going. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah, we can't get we can't get stuck on these past movies from 2021 and 2022, but. My God, Sanctuary, I'm so glad to hear this because I am so excited to once again dive into this and I'm so excited to see Abbott. Um, God damn, he's so good. Oh, he's so All good. Right, moving on. This is a movie that I know nothing about, so I'm excited <laughs> to hear what you have to say about this. This is uh, Full Time by directed by Eric Gravel. What's up with this one? Yeah, Eric, probably, because it's a French movie. Fuck. I just heard this one on a podcast. Uh, I heard it recommended on a podcast. Here was the selling point. Like, for those of you who, like, I talked about Boiling Point a few years ago, like this movie that's all one shot. Full time is not all one shot, but it's it's so tense, and we're in, like, this kitchen, and we're in this restaurant. You know, you, like, run Lola Run, something where the energy is up, 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 up for 88 minutes. This movie is 88 wow. minutes long extremely realistic, intense drama about a single mother of two trying to make it through each day. That's about it. She has an ungodly long commute from the kind of the sticks like out in the suburbs because that's where she can afford like a nice house with a yard that can have a trampoline. But she commutes a very long commute into Paris where she's the housekeeping manager at a five-star hotel. Fuck hotels. Fuck hotels, yeah. In addition... (laughs) The movie is set during a massive public transportation strike in Paris, so she cannot rely on subway, trains, buses, taxis, and she doesn't have a car. So that would make commuting for a very long commute very difficult. She has to find daily 
long-term care for her two kids. I'm talking like 4.30 a.m. to 7, 8 p.m., which includes having this person take them to school. The kids are like eight and nine, a boy and a girl. She has to get to and from work. She has to work, include training a new employee who's wildly underqualified. She's also in the middle of interviewing for a new corporate job, and she has to go, she has to find excuses to bail out of work and go across town for these interviews. There are no taxis. She has to get home. It's raining. The babysitter can't watch the kids past seven. How will she get home? And she's got to do it all again tomorrow. And that's the movie. That's full time. It's about, yeah, it's definitely like an anxiety movie. But the, the lead actress in it, handles it so well and it's not like flipping out in some spastic way it's like i gotta keep my head on and i gotta do it like my ex-husband won't answer the phone like everything i listed those are just a few things and it's like moving it's moving it's moving it very good you know it is in french but just a a extremely tense and well done realistic movie fantastic ending also on prime right now for free I really, really liked it. I just watched this last night. I was trying to fit in some movies to talk about. And again, I had never heard of this movie. Apparently, it came out, played in festivals in 2021. It premiered in France, 2022, and it premiered here this year, 2023. I don't even know if this is an Oscar contender for like best international film, but you want to, you know, a lean, mean, 88 minute long movie. No one's getting fucking stabbed. There's no sex, nothing like that. You know, here you go, full time. You know, I got to say, I'm out of breath over here because uh, are you? <laughs> I am so excited that there are every single movie that you have talked about is something that I want to see immediately. That you're never going to watch. I, 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 well, I'm going to try real hard. I'm going to try real hard. But I have not felt this excited, this invigorated in a very long time. And it's partially because I didn't think there were actually movies out that were actually doing the shit that we like anymore. That's what so this, this is, episode is for. Yes. Yes. Woo! I am. I've got the vapors. I've got. I am. I am. I'm having a moment. Take your shirt off. It's okay. Oh, there. Oh, I'll pop there it off. Goes. I'll pop it off right now. All right. Now, now, <laughs> we're we're going into one where I watched the trailer for this. Okay. Uh, the the Netflix trailer that you know they always give you that little that little yeah. thing, and I looked at it and I was like, ah, this could either be cool or this could be lame. And um, but the fact that it's on this list leads me to believe that the lame might not be what I think. <laughs> now, I also don't know the pronunciation of the word, so I don't want to butcher it like I butchered our poor director from full time's name before. So I will let you do it. But we're talking about Nyad on Netflix. I would have right been wrong. <laughs> well, OK, yeah, I'll set it up. So Nyad is on Netflix right now. This is directed by talk about hard names, Jimmy Chin. And I'm sorry, I just have to say Elizabeth Chai. It's like Valdis Lofsch. Elizabeth Chai. They've already won an Oscar for best documentary feature. They made a movie called Free Solo in 2018, which is a fucking crazy documentary about a dude who climbed the El Capitan in Yosemite National Park. It's 3,000 feet high and he did it without a rope and they got it oh all my on God. film. Yeah. <laughs> oh my nuts. God. Dude, it's nuts when you go watch it. You're like, obviously you're, it's building up the whole time. Like he's training. He slips at one point. Like he's got this oh. new wo- woman in his life. I mean, he slips like training and it's like, oh, what do you, and then oh. they, they set it up and they're like going to do it. And then he just gets like the shakes and he's like, I'm not doing it today. And he's basically like, I'll do it when I want to do it. Have your fucking camera set up and I'll do it. And then one morning he just like starts and then you see the whole thing. They got drones following the whole way. It's a, that's a really cool movie. 
No, he dies. That's what. No. What? <laughs> no. Jesus oh. Christ, Nick. Of course, he fucking makes it. He was on stage oh. and accept the Oscar. Oh, oh my God. Fuck. If he died, that'd be like a fucking. Tr- <laughs> I don't think you could release that movie. Oh. Made it just to the top. It slipped. It fell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but His name's Alex. Yeah. Oh, we just killed Alex. Fuck. <laughs> what do we do now? No, he makes it. That's not even a spoiler. Like, yes. But what's oh. cool about that movie is. It takes um, a very specific person to be able to do that stuff. This is not a guy who, like, laughs. This certainly isn't a guy who cries. He doesn't show a lot of emotion. It's a very still, even balance. A lot of astronauts are like this, too. They, they have, I don't know, there's something either missing or they have something we don't have. But there's, like, a bit of a displacement of, you know, it, it, it takes a different kind of person to be like, I could fucking die climbing this rock. Most, most of us aren't going to do that. And he does it, so you're following him. Not even talking about Nyad. Anyway, yeah, that's yeah. the movie they won an Oscar for. They also did two. They've also done other great documentaries: Maru in 2015, The Rescue in 2021. That was about those kids in Thailand who got trapped in a cave, and divers had oh. to go and get them out. Those kids didn't yep. die either, Nick. They all lived. <laughs> no one makes do- documentaries about people. No, that's not true. They do. That's not right. true. <laughs> Nyad is their first scripted film, and it's about a real life woman named Diana Diana Nyad who had a dream of swimming from Cuba to Florida, had it her whole life when she was in her 20s to when she's in her 60s. And she wants to do this without the aid of a shark cage, nothing like that. The movie's on Netflix now, and it stars Annette Benning as Nyad. I would expect to see her and Jodie Foster, who plays Nyad's friend and trainer, both of them to be nominated for Oscars without the chance of winning. Just, you know, have a glass of wine. It, it, you're going to be there on the big night, I think. Wow. They're both really great. Really, they're really great. Um, Rice Ivins, you know, the British actor? Like, yeah, he's in Notting yeah. Hill. The replacements. He, he, yeah, he's fucking great in this. Really heartwarming. Like, really, really good. He's kind of the guy who's, like, scouting out all, like, the wind patterns or the, sorry, the the tide patterns of the water. And, yeah, like, the wind and stuff. And just really good. Like, I cried in this movie. It doesn't, a movie doesn't have to be, oh. like, an A-plus masterpiece to cry. You can also cry in a bad movie. This is neither. It's not bad and it's not a masterpiece. But, you know. It's a bit of a standard biopic, but they also infused um, traumatic flashes from her life, and they they brought those in in a really kind of unique way. And it was a movie that was clearly made by documentarians because they didn't give a shit. They would just cut to like montages of the real Diana Nyad, like swimming and stuff. They they didn't care about blurring that line necessarily. They knew you were watching a movie. And that Benning, she reminds us once every few years that she just still has it, and you know. She's swimming. She trained like by swimming 10 miles a day. She's not wearing makeup in that water. I just, I loved her in it. I've always really, really liked Annette Benning. I've always had a soft spot for her and I've always wanted her to win an Oscar. And I don't know if she ever will. I've always liked Annette Benning too. I completely yeah. agree. And that's, I like that idea of splicing that real footage. I, I never, yeah. I actually think that that actually makes it a little bit more when well, it's a, yeah. a full departure from it. Well, especially someone like me who I, I've never heard of Diana Nyad. I don't I don't like follow swimming. Like I, I didn't I didn't know about any of this. So when they started doing that, I was like, oh, okay, this is clearly based on a real person. Like, oh, okay, I, I dig this. I get what they're doing. And it was just, yeah, it's a fun I can't say it's for the whole family because some of the stuff she has gone through in her past is it's tough. The way they handle it is, you know, they handle it in a 
good way, but this is more of like an inspiring movie. Let's say this is not something that's, you know, some erotic thriller. This isn't violent. It's not that just a lot of swimming, but I I'm recommending it because if you want like an inspiring movie to watch around the holidays, this will fulfill that, I believe. And Hey, there's nothing wrong with crying during the movie. There isn't at all. No, I cried three times watching Taylor Swift's era's (laughs) movie. All right. And, um, I don't regret either one of those weeps. Were you drunk when you saw that movie? Well, I don't see what that has to do with anything. <laughs> oh, I think it can enhance your emotions a little bit. I don't know. I would have cried either way, either way. Yes, I was drunk, but that's neither here nor there. You Anyways. Give us, yeah. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> speaking of a movie that I could only watch if I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I didn't know if you were going to land that. That was good. Nice. Nice. I land every shot that I make. Uh, take. Oh boy! Uh, <laughs> we're talking about a movie that I will probably never see. Yeah, probably. And that's not. okay. Um, be, but I do have a question as to its relation to a certain movie reference from back in. That's a what certain, it is. That's what it is. That's all right. Oh uh, yeah. So we're talking about Thanksgiving. Yes. Eli Roth. Yes. Back in Grindhouse in 2007. There was, between movies of Planet Terror and Death Proof, there was a trailer for a movie uh, that <laughs> truly did have one of my favorite cameos from Michael Bean. Oh, my God. He's so good. It, 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 so it's, it, it's, a, it's a complete B like horror movie trailer for a movie called Thanksgiving. And Michael Bean has this one line where he looks down and he goes, it's blood, Captain. And he's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> great son of a bitch one of his all-timer son of a bitches yeah it's a great son of a bitch anyways my biggest question is is not is this movie good i don't care is michael <laughs> bean in the movie no no sorry god damn it sorry man what a missed opportunity he's yeah oh. he's, i think he's getting up there in age a little i don't know if he acts a lot anymore but no oh, oh i didn't even no. know yeah, sorry, sorry, no, no. All right, well, go on, talk about All right. the movie. Well, Thanksgiving, yes, directed by Eli Roth. This is for the horror fans. This is for someone who wants to see a good kind of comedy slasher. That's what this movie is. Uh, this is the third film from those fake trailers to be adapted into a feature. The first were Rodriguez's Machete and then Jason yes. Eisner's Hobo with a Shotgun, which I have never seen <laughs> still. But um, Oh, yeah. You like it. Oh, okay. Of course, the Thanksgiving trailer, the original one, had just an all-timer kill with the knife coming up through the trampoline and the cheerleader coming down, <laughs> bouncing down on top of it. Uh, but- Thanksgiving, this feature film, is exactly what you think it's going to be. It's a bit like, honestly, like <laughs> January, if January 6th, that insurrection took place in a Walmart on Black Friday mixed with oh I God. know what you did last summer. Like <laughs> genuinely, there's like there's this Black Friday chaotic attack of sorts at a big box retailer like Walmart. A few people die in the following year. <laughs> someone <laughs> wants revenge for the people who died at the Walmart. Um, really fun cast. You got Patrick Dempsey, Gina Gershon. Rick Hoffman. It was, you know, it's just a fun, like, Eli Roth slasher movie. Like, a genuine old-school flash slasher movie. 
if you like Eli Roth, you know, my favorite from him, I really like Hostel 2. I really like The Green Inferno, and I like Knock Knock. Uh, Again, no, this is no masterpiece, but I definitely had a fun time watching it the night it came out at Alamo Draft House, and so did everyone else in my theater. We were hooting and hollering and cheering, and it was just it's that type of movie. Well, I, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but you've sold me. I didn't <laughs> think it was possible. You, you you sold me with the uh, with the I know what you did last summer and the cross between the the and the insurrection the insurrection I, I'm watching yeah, it and I'm like much sold it well I'm watching it and I go all right this is not like a normal Black Friday and most of us most of us have seen those videos online about how like Black Fridays have gotten insane and people are like literally busting the doors down and running over people and sometimes there have been reports that people have been like trampled or like to oh, death yeah, every like year. a Black Friday yeah so this is that. But the way he like stages this attack, I was like, oh, my God, they're like trying to break into the Capitol. Like they're just rabid. They're insane. Fucking nuts. Oh, my God. Uh, and then, yeah, and then right. it's like a year later. So kind of I know what you did last summer, how it's a year later and someone's picking them off one by one. Just silly and fun. And, you know, I was a fan of Knock Knock. I was a very big fan yeah. of that movie. Yeah. Okay. Now, now we're getting into um, um, a couple of movies that I'm very excited to hear your opinions on for very different reasons, <laughs> because I know you're not necessarily not not a fan of these directors, but they're ones that really aren't your speed. Yeah. So um, and, and one of them is very much my speed. So I really want to hear about what you had to say about Alexander Payne's brand new movie, The Holdovers. Yeah, I don't. <sighs> I had no interest in seeing this movie. I did not want to see I it know at you all. Didn't. <laughs> I I thought that I thought and still think the trailer is very bad and predictable and I don't know if I told this story on the podcast but when Dan was visiting me and we went to see Oppenheimer and IMAX this was in July when this trailer came on we each every 10 seconds would call out the next beat of the trailer and it was the first time we had both seen the trailer like I went the kid's going to yell and reveal something personal about himself. And then the guy went, my dad's dead. And then, you know, Dan's like, <laughs> Dan's like, Paul Giamatti's going to be an asshole and then turn nice. And then that happened. And then I was like, uh, uh, an inspiring song's going to start. And then that happened. And then it, it was so it was just so predictable. And I thought that would carry over to the movie. I'm giving I am endorsing the movie. This is not like the best movie of the year to me, where it sounds like some people have absolutely loved it. But I when I sat down for it, I was giving myself the talk going, you've judged this movie a lot. You have no interest in seeing it. Now it's time to clean the slate. And here we go. And I did enjoy myself. I laughed a few times. I certainly didn't cry like I've heard other people have. But it only took me a few minutes to be like, oh, this is Alexander Payne's Hal Ashby movie. He's going for like The Last Detail or Harold and Maude. I didn't even know the movie took place in 1970. I had no clue. I didn't get that. I. If that's in the trailer, I miss that. So I'm like, okay, you know, it's kind of refreshing to see like people of authority just like boozing and like taking a sip of Jim Beam, like sneaking a little pop here and there. And that never comes back around. Not like, oh, this person's going to need help. It's just, it's like 1970, you know, this stuff, you know, someone sent kids off to Vietnam. Yeah. And they don't come back. And uh, what you do get from the trailer is that this is. Um, some kids have to stay over at a boarding school at a boys boarding school. And Paul Giamatti is the sad sack teacher who has to stay with him. This is like a long time for winter break. And so it just kind of sucks. And everyone's in a sucky situation. And they try to make the best of it, even though Giamatti's an asshole. And he kind of he starts to understand one of the kids a little better. So it's all, you know, I did mention that I think this will do well in the acting nomination categories. I could see this being a, a contender for screenplay, original screenplay. Perhaps we'll see. 
this is going to get like a picture nomination. It's going to be the quieter indie, I think. It's not like an indie movie, but the indie sentiment movie. So yeah, if you're an Alexander Payne fan, you'll really like it. You just will. Ah, but I'm not saying yeah. I'm not saying the holdovers is Hal Ashby, and I'm not saying I'm going to be buying the holdovers on 4K. That's you know I don't know how many times I'll ever watch it again. But you are a fan of his films, and if you're a fan of his work, you'll like it. I yeah, we'll start there, and then I can talk about what hap- what's happened with me and Alexander Payne because it wasn't like a, a defining event. I don't I don't really know what happened. I've cooled off on him. Well, though. I know what happened. What? He came over to your house, took off his shoe, took off his sock, and smacked you across the face with it, and you've had beef. Have you ever seen what this guy looks like? I would fucking lay him out <laughs> if he tried that. Are you fucking kidding me? Um, that didn't happen. That was a weird thing to say. It must be a reference I'm not understanding. Um, no, it's just an ultimate, I challenge you to a duel. I challenge you to a duel. A last duel. Um, his first three movies I really love. I've always loved Citizen Ruth. I adore Election. And I... I have yeah. always liked about Schmidt. I like Jack's work in that. I think it's a very different register for Jack that we really never saw before or since. And then all of his other stuff is just kind of, I can take it as, as it comes. I think the best thing he's ever done is his final installment in Paris. I, when I was in Paris, I went to that Ooh. specific bench that Margot Martindale sits on. And I had like a little moment and in that park, it was just, it was great. Like I, I did that and I love I, I do like his work. He does have a specific sort of vision. He's just not someone who's ever going for like the big cathartic screaming moment and you get that big release. That's not what he is. He's a much more like muted director, which I can appreciate. What I see missing from a lot of his work to me is his very sarcastic humor and almost satirical humor. Like the humor yeah. in Election to me is just that movie's fucking hysterical. And I, I think that's kind of been missing from his later work, but he's also getting older. And I could say this of a lot of other directors, not just him. And I don't hate his movies. I don't hate the guy. It's, it's not like that. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't want to go down this road and be like, yeah. and all grumbly. I, there's no there's no movie of his with the exception of election, maybe that I would probably give an A or an A plus two. everything else just is in the B or down area and that's okay he's just not an all-timer director for me that's okay i get it i get it i get it you hate him um the uh <laughs> <laughs> he could be a little sentimental for me that's true i he can well, dive that- a little into sentiment in a way that can kind of annoy me but also like what's wrong with a little sentiment buddy well, that was that's kind you- of the speech i gave myself before the holdovers i went i think this is going to be more of like a sentimental vibe and it hit all of its beats in that. And that's okay. So if you want the sentimental holiday movie, this all takes place at Christmas. Here you go. The holdovers, you know. Well, th- I think you just nailed it on the head. Uh, if there's one thing that I know about you is that you are not a fan of sentiment for the most part. For the most part. For the yeah. most part. Uh, and, and he is. He is a director that likes to kind of like tackle sentiment in different. And he kind of comes at it from different angles. I think that's why I like his work a lot. We kind of get these downtrodden characters and um, it, life is kind of just they've either removed themselves from it a bit or they it just hasn't gone their way. And now they're dealing with it and then it kind of wraps back around. Yeah. But um, all that is to say, I'm excited to see it, but I'm actually very excited to talk about this next movie <laughs> because this was one. There's so much to unpack. I'm going to try to do a little by little. The biggest thing 
within one month, the return to acting of Michael Fassbender. Oh. So you we we've talked about the killer. We have a whole entire episode on it. It is one of those things where it's like the man is back and we're excited to see what he does next. I had no idea that this movie, I know I haven't said the title yet. I will. I had this, <laughs> no idea that this movie even existed, let alone come to my surprise. I'm watching TV and I see a trailer for this and it's Fassbender is the lead. I go, what yep. the fuck is this? <laughs> That's the only and reason I saw it. And then it's directed by a director that I know you have a little bit less mm-hmm. of a fandom for, and that's, uh, I can't ever pronounce his name, so I'll let you do it. Tayaka Waititi, right? I, I, I'm doing as best as I can. Yes, yeah, yes. It's a tough one. And so the movie I'm referring to is Next Goal Wins. It's on your list, which is crazy to me <laughs> for so many reasons. So that means that you must have something to say about it, and I am all ears. This was my... Um tricky double feature day because i did the holdovers at like 505 or like 530 and then next goal wins at eight i'm in the amc i, I believe me i am the only one in next goal wins like the theater was practically shut down <laughs> so i've been there and i'm like all right i'm gonna you know that's a rare experience i'm gonna enjoy it and i um folks i really did not want to see this movie i thought i i i don't like why tt is he's someone i have a lot of trouble with because the original movie of what we do in the shadows is fucking hysterical. And that TV show is funny too, but like the Marvel stuff is not for me. And yeah, I'll say it. Like we started this podcast after this movie came out, but um, Jojo rabbit is not a film that's for me. And I tried twice and you really like that no, movie. It's... And my dad loves <laughs> that movie. And Hey, it won the Academy award for best original screenplay, which to me was a choice. I, I I'm stunned. <laughs> <laughs> that one in that year, I, I, I knew it was going to happen. We all like kind of saw it, but I was like, maybe one adapted. I, I don't remember if that's it, it won one of them. I don't know. And I, I was like, OK, wow. And next goal wins. Uh, they've made this movie in 2019. This, this movie has been. Yes. And that is not a selling point. So this movie was filmed like before Fassbender kind of. No, nah, he was already in it, like his racing acting retirement thing. I only went to see it for him. I love the killer. Yeah. Every single person I've recommended the killer to. I'm I'm like 11 for 11. Men, women, old, young, multiple races, doesn't matter. Everyone digs the killer. Fuck yeah, the killer. He's so good in the killer. He's the only reason I went to see this. And I will admit that not only did I laugh, but I laughed my ass off aloud a few times in the movie and i went yeah okay you did it that's fine I- i'm recommending this on the podcast now wow. I, never, I don't know if i'll ever see it again but like his energy which is so like you know just tight and like tightly wound and the killer things like shame or even things like haywire but this dude can be funny i've also always i've always found humor in some of his deliveries talked about that a lot with the killer while him not being like overtly funny. And this gave yeah. him a chance to be overtly funny. It's this is a true story. I had never heard of it, but you know, it's um it's kind of like cool runnings. It's a 2023 cool yeah, running. Like yeah. Yeah, to like this white coach hired to take over the worst kind of soccer team in all of the World Cup League, the American Samoa and chaos ensues and it kind of becomes a thing where these people don't need, don't even want to win they just want to be able to score a goal in a game <laughs> just one goal they don't want to win like a championship they don't even want to win a game they just want to be able to score a goal because they never have or they haven't in like 10 years so you know um fastbender's character yeah fastbender's character is a bit of a boozer that like 
uh, again, just never came up. He's just like boozing the whole time. It's not like, oh, maybe coach needs help. Like yeah, the yeah. assistant coach in the team has, uh, or he gets a bunch of something drawn on him. <laughs> and, you know, whenever we see that in a movie, the next time we see that character, all the stuff's going to be like gone. But he goes, you assholes did this like a permanent marker. And then every time <laughs> we see him throughout the movie, he's just faded a little bit. So like, oh, it was amazing. always there. And I'm like, this is the most childish humor but i'm here i'm by myself and i'm laughing and I, I i did i laughed in the movie it's not like it made me laugh out loud in a way that was kind of refreshing it has some annoying stuff to it i the movie's an hour and 44 minutes long and i don't know why some movies nowadays this is not a spoiler but this movie opens with the director as some anonymous character who we never see again doing some funny voice looking straight into the camera and saying something to the effect of this is a, an amusing story that took place a few years ago. And I'm, and I'm thinking, do, do we need this device to set this movie up? Is this movie going to be that complicated? And then, like, we don't see him <laughs> again. I don't know. It does, it does it in the end, too. The final, you know, it's a sports movie, so it ends with, like, a big final game. And the first half of the match is just told straight, like, we're watching the movie. And then it cuts. And the second half of the match is all told in flashback from it, as someone narrates it. So there's weird shit like that where I'm like, why do you, why are you doing this? Just tell the movie straight, uh, you know, whatever. Wes Anderson does a lot of that stuff too. Asteroid City is like a hat on a hat on a hat. It's like a play being turned into a TV movie based on a book. I, it's very strange. But anyway, weird shit like that aside, when the movie just calmed down and was like telling jokes, I found it amusing. But if you know where my head was at going into it and, and that the only reason I saw this is because the timing worked out, very pleasantly surprised, like very pleasantly surprised from that when I genuinely thought I was just not going to like it at all. It's just funny. You know, parts of it were funny and the way that he would he'd be like, the hell are you doing? This doesn't even make sense. Like at one point, Michael Fassbender is in that guy's office and he looks at his desk and he's like, look at this shit. You have a keyboard and a mouse, but you don't have a computer screen. <laughs> None of this makes any fucking sense. <laughs> it's like the way you guys do things doesn't make any sense. So just riling himself up. Yeah, I clearly I enjoyed myself with it. All right. I, hey, I, you, I, you've sold me on every single movie that, that we've talked about here. I'm doing my job, making that money, yep. all that advertising, all, what money's just coming in it. for us, folks. <laughs> um, but, and now this is one, too, that I can't believe that I I don't know anything about this one. And it's by a director who I, I don't really know too much about him. Yeah. I hear he's good. I've heard of him. Um, he's done like a couple, a couple of movies. I don't want to talk about it. You know, he's dead, right? <laughs> What? He just died. He just died. I did a whole fucking podcast Oh my podcast God, that's right. It. He did. <laughs> yes, oh, that's fuck. why we're we talked this. about this. Ah, <laughs> oh, son of a bitch. Set it up being all sarcastic. <laughs> uh, well. Put some respect on William Friedkin's name. <laughs> William Friedkin? Rest I in peace. I apologize. And uh, The Exorcist was an amazing, amazing movie. Oh, and um, some of us have even seen it more than once. Ah, uh, maybe even a couple times. Um, so I am referring to, God damn it. I'm referring to the Kane Mutiny Court Martial. Yeah, it's not, I mean, don't be down on yourself for not having heard of this. This is one that 
they filmed this is like a COVID movie. It all takes place in the courtroom and they just have gently, it did not get a theatrical release. They've de- gently just like kind of dumped it out on Paramount Plus. No one watching this would ever say it's William Friedkin's best movie. That's okay. It more like has a made for TV movie vibe. He did this with um, 12 Angry Men. He remade it for TV. The Kane Mutiny Court Martial is, well, basically on episode 104 of What Are You Watching? The Remembering William Friedkin podcast. I said that I would watch this movie and report back. And The Kane Mutiny was a novel that won the Pulitzer in 1951. That was turned into a popular Broadway play in 53, starring Charles Lawton and Henry Fonda. Humphrey Bogart made a movie about it in 1954. So it's one of the, it's this material, you know, that just kind of like circles around like lonely hearts, like that type of stuff. Mm. This movie, this version stars Kiefer Sutherland, Jason Clark, Jake Lacey, Lance Riddick, also rest in peace. It's, you know, it's a bit uneven, both in the way it's shot and the performances. Like I said, the entire thing takes place in a courtroom. It really feels like a filmed play. And that's it. It's this is not Bug. This is not Killer Joe. This is not The Exorcist, which is a great film. Great film. So great it film. really is for the Friedkin completists like me. That's all. But I wanted to mention it. Not not a ringing endorsement, I know, but I did want to just give it a little attention because it was his last film because the man did pass away. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. And I remember us having this conversation because we 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 it was revealed that I basically have lived my entire life in a William Freakin list universe, never seen the French connection. Right. We didn't have that convo on the pod, but I asked you if you wanted to be a part of that episode where I was remembering yep. him. And I mean, yeah, it didn't it wasn't just the exorcist when you were like, I haven't seen the French connection. I was like, oh, wow. But because that's one. I mean, some when you <laughs> when you love movies, you can like. Save some, like save the French connection and save it an hour and 40 minutes long. Save it for when you're like, I want a perfect hour and 40 minute thriller. And then you're going to put it on and be like, oh, that's why that's one of the best movies like ever made. That's why it's remembered that way. So, yeah, save it. That, I love the French Connection. I I, I want to dive in because one of the only movies that I know that I've seen before The Exorcist was Cruising. You're the only Which person is- alive that saw Cruising before The Exorcist. <laughs> I guarantee it. it. Says a lot about you. God, what a movie. A what a film. What a film. <laughs> Fucking handkerchiefs. Jesus. Oh my god. Uh, um but that's right, it well, for my yeah. new yeah, my new releases for this episode. That's it. I got a few more movies to talk about, but there are things that have been out for decades, for a few years if not decades, but but I wanted to end this section. I hope we're ending it mm. with something from you. That's right. All right. So here uh, we go. Set so it up. you interview me now. Do it right. Do it right. Do 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 me like I do you. You said that we're recording this on Do Me Like I Did You. Wow. You're really going to enjoy passages. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Today is December 2nd. That's when we're recording this on Saturday. You said yesterday on December 1st that you were going to go see a movie. And then it sounded like some of your coworkers got roped into it. So you're like, we still have to go see a movie. And I honestly thought you were going to report on this podcast that you just didn't end up seeing a movie. So... (laughs) Well, hopefully you did. And if you did, you're going to give us a review of it. But if you didn't, then we're just going to keep on. Nope. I, uh, I, I, I went and I saw and um, I went and saw a movie that I was very excited to see because I was such a fan of his first movie. Um, I saw Maestro last night. Whoa. Holy yeah. Sh- right. It's in L.A. Let's go. 
in LA. It's Whoa, in theaters right now. Oh, this is a big deal because I am not going to be able to see this for I don't even like think three it more comes weeks. out in DC for three more weeks. And I definitely am yep. going to go to the theater, not see it on Netflix. So everyone, this is Bradley Cooper's next movie as a writer-director playing Leonard Bernstein. It's called Maestro. It's going to be a Netflix movie. Don't give us any spoilers, but wow, yeah, give it to nope. us. Holy shit, yeah. that's great. This is huge. Yeah, I I'm um I'm very curious to see what you think about it because there's a lot of throwback to the look of old Hollywood. Ooh, I love that. And but I but I'm wondering because I ah oh, there's a lot of CGI. Okay, yeah, I I figured. It, and so yeah, so that, that that was like something that was there, and I, I even questioned. It. it was in my head. I go, oh, I wonder what Alex is going to think about this. Interesting. The acting in this movie is out of control. Thank God. I can't imagine Bradley Cooper not being nominated. Um, same thing with Carey Mulligan. That's what we said about us. Wait, no, he was nominated for actor for Stars Born, but he, he didn't was. get the director. Yeah, that's right. He didn't that's get right. the director. Yeah. Um, and um, and this. Well, I still, I mean, it's going to be very hard for anything to be the star is born for me. It, like that movie just holds such a special place in my heart. This feels like a Bradley Cooper movie. And I, you can't really say that until he's done more than one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This has like it. I, and I, I can't even put my finger on what it is that he brings to something as a director. There's just a. I think it's just an actor's director. He he uh, he, yeah. he really kind of knows how to nail moments in certain ways that um, when this movie has certain moments, man, does it it delivers in a way where it's like, well, that that's got to be like one of the best scenes of the year. Ooh. I don't know enough about Leonard Bernstein. Same here. To me, this movie doesn't necessarily feel like a biopic. Okay. Uh, so if people are kind of going into it looking for that type of life story, I don't know if this gets it. Um, but that was okay for me because I didn't really care to know. It's kind of the same question we heard about the documentary. Like, do we really want to watch a movie that's beat for beat this person's life and all the historical like, accuracy? Or do we kind of just want to see this? And, you know, honestly, this is one thing that I'm sure the movie that I know the trailer's already given crap for is uh, the makeup for Bradley Cooper's nose. Well, that, yeah, that was like a, a, frankly, a fucking ridiculous, like, TikTok Twitter thing that went around for a few days. And then it's the all family I hear had to come out. Yeah, the family had to come out and be like, we agreed to this. Like, this is what our dad looked like. Like, shut up and go away. But. Did, did that bother you on film at all? Was it like not at of all? Of course not. It, but of course not. I can understand that in the trailer, when you're not settled into looking at someone's face for the next two hours, and you know what Bradley Cooper looks like, it is distracting in that way. But from the second the movie starts, and you just see that that's what it is, it never once becomes distracting at all. You are just, but that's also a credit to his acting. Of course. Like, this really is like a performance where it's, you know, the whole thing. Got the makeup. He's got the age. You know, he goes through all different eras of the life. Not once did I feel taken out of where it was going because of that. Oh, man. So I just want to say that up front. Yeah, this is really exciting. So what a lot of directors, especially actor directors, when they do their second movie, you know, you can call it, you call this with any director, but a sophomore slump. And you notice a very serious 
uh, plummet kind of in quality and performance and all this stuff. You did not get any of that. It's a strong film. I, I don't feel it's as strong as the first effort, but, um, but that's okay. Yeah. He wants this to be an Oscar movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like that. It's very safe. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't go into some of the details of his life that I'm sure moviegoers like you and I would be like, come on, let's, let's go. I get it. I get it. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's safe in that way, but it's okay because he kind of, he doesn't set it up in a way where you think that we're going to go there and then takes it away. He, he keeps it a very, uh, uh. He seems like he's really knows what he's doing with it. And Carrie's good because I mean I love her. You're gonna okay. love it. You're gonna oh, love it for her. God, it's God, a, it's, a, it's, a it's a true to form for her. Well, I like that he credited her first, like on the posters and in the trailer. Like it says Carrie Mulligan, and then Bradley Cooper because you know he's writer director. He did the same thing with Lady Gaga. He gave her first billing and a Star yeah. is Born, which is which is cool. Oh, that's a great review. I'm so excited to see this movie. So that's when I said earlier, like Ferrari, Poor Things. This is probably the third. Those those are the three big ones, I think, for me that are left. So I'm really excited. My um, my dad is a huge just Bradley Cooper fan, Star is Born yeah. fan. He also really, really loved that movie. So I'll try to see that with him. We want to see Poor Things together, the most ex- sexually explicit film of 2023 we are trying to see together. <laughs> it's really? That's oh, what my it's... God. Have you seen what it's rated R for? Like the trailer? It's like perverse no. sexuality, perverse nudity. Like all it's Emma Stone has already done like before the trailer. She's like, yeah, I want people to know that this is a very specific character. I picked it like specifically. Yeah, I think it I think Poor Things like goes there oh shit okay yeah okay Okay. and that's and i'm gonna see it with my dad (laughs) because he loves your ghost um that's great maestro we're gonna talk about it a lot more like later i don't know if we'll do a full review maybe or like a little bonus episode but i'm glad glad it did disappoint you i'm glad it like holds up i hear you about the cg i'll be very curious to check that out because he had netflix money to work with so also another thing to keep in mind that movie was originally slated to come out last year and rumors these are rumors were reported that he did not want to release it and compete against tar which that is not about a real life composer but it is about a composer and he thought i don't think the world needs two composer movies like in the same month maybe he's right i don't know i don't know even know if it's the same audience but Obviously, a movie like Maestro, by virtue of the fact that it's being released on Netflix, is going to, that's where its sole audience is going to be. Not its sole. People like me will go see it in theaters or people like you. But whereas Tar was in, in theaters only. So I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm very, very curious to see it. I've been dying to see it. I haven't watched the trailer. So the cinematography is great in it. It's, it's definitely Maddie a Lebatique, good movie yeah. to see. Yeah. yeah he's a guy yep. who did, you know, Star is Born, Requiem yep. for a Dream, Mother. <laughs> yes. That was it for the new reviews. That's great. Oh, I love hearing that. I love hearing that. So now we're going to go into a section of this episode where, uh, as we all know, Alex collects movies. I do. You are a collector of sorts, would you say? And yes, the, but um, yes, yes. And specifically, we are now getting into the 4K format, which I, for one, am extremely excited about. And we're going to burn through a lot of these wrecks that you have right here. But there is one at the top of the list that (laughs) is really is the one that I want to really talk about the most, because I think we can all agree back when we talked about our heat podcast, um, we all can agree that Michael Mann's best movie he's ever made is undeniably Black Hat. Yeah. Duh. 
So, so until now, until now, because the director's cut of Black Hat is even better than Black Hat. So we now have a new best Michael. Tell me about this. All right. This is yeah, this is the uh, hardcore movie nerd section, because in addition to talking about a few movies, I am going to talk about the 4K discs because I am a collector, but my collection is not about quantity, which sounds ridiculous because I have so many. But what, what I'm doing routinely now is if I have it on like DVD and there's no special features and then someone releases a 4K, I'm doing a lot of upgrades and donating my DVDs, yada, yada. This Black Hat 4K has been a um, white whale of sorts for physical media lovers because Arrow, a great company, not unlike Criterion, they're like a, you know, really good company of physical media, announced this 4K and everyone was flipping out about it because the director's cut of Black Hat premiered like once on FX, like in 2016, oh. and then it was gone. And so I've never seen it. Like it was just gone. It's crazy. And so everyone's like, cool, Black Hat 4K, it's going to have director's cut, right? And Arrow's like, no. <laughs> uh, so they kept delaying it. So I was getting an email like every week saying, we promise we're still working on it. We decided to add the director's cut to a second Blu-ray disc. So we have to like remanufacture everything. So it finally arrived. Now, Black Hat, joking aside. It's not a very good movie. Like, it's just, it's very, have you seen it? Like, the original? No, no, I okay, okay, I didn't think so. It's, it's confusing. It's about, like, hackers and Chris Hemsworth. And it, it just, you know, uh, the stock market gets involved. But Michael Mann is no stranger to recutting his films. And I've always heard that this is, like, the director's cut is so much different, even though it's not that any time. I, I just heard he rearranged a lot and put, like, the the beginning of the film in the middle and all this stuff. So I've only seen black hat once and I'm not going to lie. It's been nine years, like or eight, nine years. I don't have the best working memory of it. I remember all the action scenes cause no one does action like Michael Mann, you know, all the gunplay, but I put this on director's cut, put the phone in the other room, like the, the minute the Blu-ray arrived and I really liked it. I was like, this is a good movie. It's still like his performance. I'm, I'm never going to understand when an actor just doesn't have a command of an American accent. And Chris Hemsworth, <laughs> I, I'm not even talking smack about him. He just doesn't. He's an Australian guy. Let him be an, an Australian. Like, who cares? Yeah. It doesn't matter to that movie that he's American. It just, it's so, but that's just me. That's like stupid stuff about me. Um, I also acknowledge that the only way to watch this is if you do buy this 4K, which very few people are going to do. But I'm just reporting that as an experiment of editing, this is a really, really cool experiment. We've talked about doing an episode where we specifically call out our director's cuts better because just because it's a director's cut does not mean it's going to be better. Longer yeah. is usually what director's cuts mean. And sometimes they get buried by not having a good editor. And it's like, you didn't need to include all of this. This, insofar as I can remember, I have not had time to go back and watch the theatrical cut, which I'm, that's another thing I might do after this pod. <laughs> but the director's cut was just good. It was a good movie. It was a good Michael Mann movie. I liked it. It made way more sense. I was not confused by any of the stories. So just wanted to call that out. Yeah, for, you know, movie lovers. It was a lot of fun. That's cool. That's very cool. Next up, this is not a 4K. This is a Blu-ray for the first time in physical media history. 
Ernest Dickerson's 1994 masterpiece, Surviving the Game, starring Ice-T. What? <laughs> and Gary Busey is available on Blu-ray. If you were a kid of the 90s like I was, this was on cable constantly. It is an update of The Most Dangerous Game in which a bunch of rich white dudes and, oh no, just a bunch of rich dudes uh, bring Ice-T out to the woods and hunt him. And, you know, he's got to survive to live. Great film. Gary Busey has one of the best monologues in motion picture history about his dog in this movie. Oh. And if you know, you know, uh, you just, you'll never forget it when you see it. You're like, what is this good of a monologue doing in this like, quote unquote, cheesy 90s action thriller? I love this movie. So yeah, again, if you know, you know, but as soon as my Blu-ray arrived, I put it on and I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on my eighth birthday, my father brought me a bulldog. A fat little bulldog. I named him Prince Henry Stout. He was strong. He would chase my pet turkey. He would chase squirrels up the tree. I trained him. I raised him. I fed him. I groomed him. I took care of him. I love that dog. I love that dog. More than anything in the world, I love that dog. My father gave me a handful of cherry bombs and M80s and said, you're going to train this dog to be a protector. So every Saturday afternoon, I got behind a little dummy my dad built, and I'd toss these cherry bombs and M80s at the dog. Boom, boom. That dog was scared at first, but after a while he got angry and he would come at the dummy. Well, he'd get the dummy and rip it apart. Head was off, shirt was gone. Great film. You've never seen it? I've never seen it. Oh man, it's so good. It's so good. 90s classic. Yeah. Um, Rucker Hauer is like the main fucking oh, bad guy. Nice. Charles S. Dutton. Yeah. Uh, F. Murray oh. Abraham. Like great cast. Like That's great crazy. cast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Akira Kurosawa's Dreams. I'm slowly making my way through all of his work. I bought that 4K from Criterion. Um, you're just not going to find many movies that look better than that. This is um, a movie of vignettes, each based on one of his dreams. This also includes one dream in which Martin Scorsese plays Vincent Van Gogh. A lot of fun. Good movie. That's crazy. Really good movie. You would love this movie. The final vignette is like made for Nick Dostal. You would love it. <sighs> Big deal in the 4K world. The Fugitive, directed by Andrew Davis, just Oof. was just released in 4K. Put it on immediately. And boy, does it look great. It just looks so good. And I'm, you know, I'm watching it. I finished it. And then I was looking at the special features and I was like, commentary by Andrew Davis and Tommy Lee Jones. Are you kidding me? Oh my me? God. Tommy Lee, like the crankiest guy ever. Yeah. So I put that out and I'm like halfway through the movie. He's great. He's just great in, on the commentary. He's not saying a lot, but he's, he's a lot of fun. He's like, oh yeah, I like that movie. It starts, he's like, what movie are we talking about today? And Andrew's like, we're talking about The Fugitive. He's like, oh, yeah, I like that movie. Like, yeah, it won you an Academy Award. Of course you like it. He's just, he's great. He's great. <laughs> oh, God damn, that river, that river is cold there. It's so colder than hell. It, just stuff like that. It's like <laughs> a little sick. It's so funny. Uh, Igmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal on 4K. I, my last wow. two, I have not watched it. I haven't seen this in 4K yet. It's still sealed. I cannot wait. And then, of course, oh my God. the movie of 2023, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer was released in 4k recently that is also sealed and i just need like a day with that thing i need a day with all the special features a day with the 4k movie itself and might have to do a special pod just on that 4k release when i open it up but that was um that was great for it to arrive god it's great oppenheimer what a film motion pictures what a film <laughs> what a picture what a, film. What a picture theory will only take you so far yeah oh, great great <laughs> seen it so many times fucking love that movie <laughs> Will it be a picture director frontrunner? Is that in play? 
is it in play for Oppenheimer to actually win awards, not just be another like decent Christopher Nolan movie that no, maybe picks up a I few technical ones? I, I, I don't know. I'm like you last year where I kept telling you everything everywhere is not only going to get nominated for everything, it's going to win everything. And you're like, nah, nah. I don't know. I'm telling you that this is going to do that. It's going to clean house. This, yeah. Uh, this is this. No, no, no. There's no. I mean, I'll give you maybe picture. I'm not just going to give you picture director. I'll we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be a very interesting award season in my best actress roundup. When I mentioned, you know, Lily Gladstone, we, there is Karen Mulligan. You know, there there are there is Emma Stone and poor things. There are other things. So we'll we'll see. Will Emily Blunt make a showing in supporting actress? I don't know. Killian Murphy Listen, for actor. I don't know. Buckle up, buckaroo. It's going to be an Oppenheimer sweep. We'll see. We'll see. It's going to be a Winnipeg flip. A Winnipeg flip. First cousin? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, sometimes I just fall into... So that's it for physical media. Now I'm going to move into a few just older movies I've either watched for the first time or rewatched, and then we're going to get out of here, and that's it. Goodbye. So long. Sometimes I go on these just like weird director binges and i want to fill in gaps and i realize you know peter weir is a director i've seen a lot of his mainstream movies the truman show of course witness of course things like that i've been on criterion watching his first few the cars that ate paris picnic at hanging rock is like a fucking masterpiece so clearly influenced by cries and whispers but then also so clearly influenced things like the virgin suicides or marie antoinette that that's like that's a huge endorsement for me. Picnic at Hanging Rock. Like this night, it's the year, real quick, I wasn't even planning on doing this. It's the year 1900, and all, these schoolgirls go to a picnic just at a, a rock with a few teachers, and they, that's it. And then some go off on a hike, and four of the girls and a teacher wind up missing. Where do they go? And they're not found. And it's like they have to go back into town, and they're like, we can't find them. That whole town goes and looks for them, can't find them. Where'd they go? That's the movie. It's it was just That's, really really cool, very effective like eerie thriller that I liked. The Last Wave, which was made in 1977. So I'm doing this Peter Weir thing, and there's a huge hole in Peter Weir's filmography to me called Master and Commander: The Far Side of the World. Yeah, starring yeah. Russell Crowe that I saw once in the theater 20 years ago when it was released in 2003. It's got nominated for a shitload of Oscars, only won two because, like everything else that year, they got steamrolled by Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Interestingly, Master and Commander won cinematography, and I was like, how did it do that over Return of the King? Return of the King wasn't even nominated for Best Cinematography. I'm like, what? You Okay, anyway. This movie has a huge following on the internet, because I've always been like Master and Commander, meh, like I didn't remember it well, didn't do much for me. It's another one. It's on Amazon Prime, put my phone in another room, and I said, you're going to sit here for two hours and 20 minutes and pay attention. And this is a really good movie. This is actually a very, very well done movie. Russell Crowe is drunk and funny and light in it. I liked him so much more in this than Gladiator, for example, and it opens and ends with a thrilling battle scene. There's other stuff in the middle, but I really, really liked it. And I was like, holy shit. Like, sometimes you just got to go back and give another movie a shot. Yeah. But I was thinking, yeah. what what happened to this movie? Like, what what's going on to where, like, it wasn't remembered that fondly? And then it just dawned on me. 2003, Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. That came out in the summer. People didn't want to go back on a ship for some serious ass drama a few months later. That yeah. and if you're going to go back for a big epic, they probably went to Return of the King. So 
between Pirates of the Caribbean and Return of the King, it just kind of got lost in there. But didn't stand a uh, chance. Yeah, very good. Like I actually really liked it. And what a lot of people mentioned online was that it's one of the best sound mixed movies ever made. And Ooh. as I get older, I'm more into sound mixing. And I'm like, that was my final selling point. I went, all right, you're a little comment right there about sound mixing. And it won an Oscar for, I don't remember if it was mixing or editing, one of the others. And it was mixed like really, really well, like really well. I watched part of it with my Bluetooth, you know, fancy headphones on. And I was yeah. like, oh shit, this is like, they weren't lying. And for 2003, the special effects were like, good, good. Yeah. So I, if, you know, if you already liked the movie, then good on you. If you're like me and saw it once or you never wanted to see it, I promise it's worth it. It was a good movie. Not overly long either, like two hours, 15 minutes. Fine. Shorter than most movies today. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I brought that up. I've mentioned my trip to Paris, taking a trip to Paris. I've mentioned it a few times, just like in <laughs> passing. I did get to see two movies in the theater while, while I was there, and it was a lot of fun. The first was Shadows, and just what a delight yeah. to see Cassavetti's first movie. There's only like five of us in there, and these Paris theaters are so like small. Like in one of them, the bathroom was like at the front of the theater, and it's just one tiny little bathroom for men and women. So like, if you got to go to the bathroom, you got to like walk like to where the screen is and like open it. It was just I don't know. It was so cool. It was so trippy. My second movie was Punch Drunk Love, and I was really curious to see how audiences would take this and both the movies are in english with french subtitles so all i want to say about this is how amusing it is to me how humor does and does not translate over to different cultures and not this theater was almost sold out i was the only person in the theater laughing at all the stuff involving the sisters that's my favorite thing about it like yeah arguing with the sisters on the phone going to the house kicking in the door they this audience just didn't get it they didn't get I, I i don't know i don't know what it is about it but there was no laughing and i think some of them were like unnerved by it i went oh that's interesting now remember the scene where adam sandler and emily watson are like laying in bed together and he's like you're just so beautiful i want to smash your face in you're just so pretty <laughs> yeah. like yeah it's kind of funny these fucking french people <laughs> were dying laughing like almost <laughs> falling out of, to where i'm looking around going what the fuck i mean they thought that was like the funniest thing they had ever seen just that really quick interaction i want to bite your face you're so beautiful you're so pretty it uh, so i was just i was going oh wow i've never seen an audience laugh like this at that exchange and then of course everyone any country, doesn't matter who you are, you laugh your ass off. If Philip Seymour Hoffman in that movie, we were all just shut, shut, shut. Everyone's like hysterical. So that's all. I just, I like that shit. You know, different cultures, that stuff. But I know that's what translates and what doesn't is just fascinating to me. Fascinating. That's so fascinating. No, it really is. Because I mean, that, that, that is, that's like we, we I, I can't explain it, but we find different things funny. I'm sure. I mean, that's what mostly America gets made fun of is because we just like the raunchy lowbrow. And I right. just admit that it is what I like. But um, well, that's okay. but when you do see something that you would just never really think would be funny. And then a, a, a whole entire like crowd of people all think that that's really funny. It like it just tunes you in. You're like, oh, you guys have a whole different like thing over here as to why that might be funny. Yeah. And um, it's always kind of cool to think about what, what that might be. Like, what is it about, about that that's humorous? Exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's it. That's our roundup episode. You know, these are fun. These are fun to do and just like talk about 
a bunch of different movies. Talked about a bunch of new stuff. Some of it, you can go to the theater, check some of this out. You can watch them for free or you can rent them. Some new stuff at home if you're a nerd and want to buy some 4Ks. Talked <laughs> about that. I'm so glad you got to review Maestro. It is pretty rare that you get to see like a big movie like that before me. So I love it. Yeah. I'm excited to circle back to it and talk about it. You did spoil your what are you watching. So I you did. did go first. Babylon. I did. Best movie I of 2022. That. Wow. Yep. My what are you watching? Oh, boy. Here we go. Here we go. Oppenheimer. <laughs> Oppenheimer 4K. You live in Los Angeles, and Los Angeles has a movie theater called New Beverly Cinema. And what they do, it's owned by Tarantino. What they do is often movie pairing. So you go for a double feature. And there have just been very few times in my life where, because I, I always look at their calendar, I listen to their podcast. And in December, like 28th or 29th, they are doing a double feature of Gremlins 2 and a movie called Freaked from 1993. And I almost like was tempted to fly out for it, but it's just, it's in oh between Christmas and New Year's and I can't do it. Now, Gremlins 2, I've talked about on this podcast with friend of the pod, Dan. We dedicated an entire episode to it. That's for a very specific type of moviegoer, that film, as is Freaked. Now, I, I understand that most people listening to this have not heard of 1993's Freaked, it's, which is about some kids who stumble into um, like a house of horrors where everyone is a different freak and it's run by Randy Quaid. And instead of watching the show, he puts some slime on you and then you become a freak. And that's kind of just what it's about. It's really over the top and zany. Never been available anywhere. VHS, DVD. I saw it on a few times as a kid. Some kind soul uploaded it to YouTube and I just cannot recommend this highly enough. Like it is so ridiculous. It is directed by Tom Stern and Alex Winter from Bill and Ted, directed by uh. him. It stars Alex Winter, Randy Quaid, William Sadler. <laughs> this was made two years after Bill and Ted's bogus journey, in which William Sadler played Death, Mr. T, Brooke Shields, Bobcat Goldwaith, Keanu Reeves, John Hawks. It's so ridiculous. So, this is like hardcore, ridiculous. If you like Gremlins 2, and if you like Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, then Freaked would be a natural movie next to that. So not a highbrow movie, not an Oscar movie, just an out and out ridiculous movie type of thing where like they land at an airport and, you know, establishing shots, you always show like the plane landing and then we overhear them talking. So we just assume that we're they're like talking like, you know, as, as they're waiting for their luggage and we're watching the plane lane and the plane just explodes and then in their dialogue, they're like, wow, I'm really glad we weren't on that plane. <laughs> so it's like that kind of movie. And then the camera pans over. And they're like waiting for a taxi. It is ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous in the most absurd way. And I appreciate that from time to time. Freaked. You've once again sold me. Yes. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> this was the selling Nick episode. No, we both this got is... We both. You sold me on Maestro. So, yeah, it's all good. This has been a lot of fun. I like these episodes. This is awesome. I love these. It's so much well, fun. We gave everyone a lot to watch. So let us know, as always, what you're watching. I want to know on Twitter, on Instagram, letterboxed, anywhere at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. But as always, thanks for listening and happy watching. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostel.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. Send us mailbag questions at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com 
Or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. Next time is all about Spike Lee's He Got Game. I've been wanting to talk about this movie in detail for years. So excited to dive in. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.